Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to episode 58. Um, today I'm going to be talking about confirmation bias, a whole bunch of things. I haven't figured out the title yet because I was actually talking to my sister about it and how it's such a relevant topic, the whole com- confirmation bias, not just with how you perceive the world, but how you perceive your relationships with people, but also it's very heavily around um, how you perceive your own abilities. So I think it's really important that we all become more aware of it and I'm going to go into Look, I'll just obviously go into it over the next 45 minutes. So before we do that, um, as usual, a quick update of my week. So I'm currently recording this podcast from my parents' place in Brisbane. I've come up here for the next like 10 days. I've got one of my high school besties. It's her wedding next weekend. And I thought, look, I'll just spend – because I'm in like um, study mode at the moment. Study mode, um, SWAT VAC or whatever, like the the exam – study period um and so I'm literally just like pumping out the con because I've got like two essays and two exams remaining so here I am like a psycho trying to smash all that work out and I thought that it'd be good to maybe change up the scenery classes are finished so I've come up to Queensland to do that but I think I'm doing all right my final exam is on the 24th it's currently what the 13th of June and I've almost finished the essays and they're not due for like another six days so I'm really ahead of the the game at the moment um, doesn't mean I'm killing it. I'm just ahead of the hand in date, but I'm still going to like, like there's so much study I've got to do for this final exam. You know, I do. It's like it weighs 45% this one exam. Anyway, um, separate to that, once I finish, um, uni, I am going guys and a bunch of you live here. So I'm really excited and hopefully I bump into you, but I'm going on a trip with Tyrone. We are going for our first international trip in ages and we're going to New Zealand I am so 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 excited we're going um, to be there for 10 days and I want to go to the snow we're going to go to Auckland Queenstown we really need to like properly organize a bit of an itinerary we're kind of just winging it but we've um kind of decided that that's where we're going to be going so so excited I probably hopefully will get some Kiwis jumping on either my Instagram or Facebook group and just giving me some epic recommendations to do in those areas at least Um, because I've never been to New Zealand ever the airport is the only part of New Zealand I've seen and obviously that does not count Um, so I can't wait for that very very excited now the first thing that I was going to do today is I want to talk about um My brain fact, I noticed that I haven't done a brain fact for the last, what, like two or three episodes. So let's bring the brain fact section back. Let's bring it back with a vengeance. And today I'm going to be talking about how does nicotine work. So firstly, okay, this is why I started doing it. I started listening to this podcast called The Vaping Fix. It's a wondery podcast and I love a good um, one, if you guys listen to any podcast, you got to jump on Wondery. They've got some great like six kind of episode, like mini series that all touch on really, really interesting um, topics. Like one of my favorite ones is Bad Batch. And that's all about like this dodgy, dodgy stem cell company that was injecting stem cells into people. And anyway, epic, epic, epic. This is not Spawn, by the way. It's just a really, really good record. So um, the vaping fix is a really good one because I thought it'd be interesting to listen to it because I vape on occasion and I've, I've smoked in the past and I think it's really interesting to see how vaping can become at times with certain people highly, highly addictive and so can obviously, as we all know, cigarettes and the addictive component of those things is the nicotine. That is what makes it addictive. So I wanted to talk about how nicotine works on the brain, what the whole, what it's all about. So 
Nicotine is the psychoactive component of tobacco and um, so that's where the whole thing started with why it was becoming addictive with cigarettes. And then they were able to take the nicotine out specifically and then put it in something like a vape, okay? And that if you're finding that you're addicted to vapes, you're probably having a vape with nicotine, okay? Now, nicotine, the way it behaves on the brain, it acts as an agonist. In other words, it will... It, it activates something in the brain. So I've, I think I've explained this in the past, but you've got agonists, which kind of activate, and then antagonists, which kind of inhibit action or um, slow something down or stop something, okay? So nicotine is an agonist, and it activates a certain receptor that exists on cell membranes in the brain um, for a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, okay, which I'm going to go into in a little bit. But basically that receptor is called the nicotinic acetylcholine receptor and it's found throughout the brain, throughout the central nervous system and also in the peripheral nervous system as well. So what it does, nicotine will bind to that receptor and it causes an action. So it's an agonist, so it's going to um, activate something. And then when it binds, it results in that uh, receptor depolarizing, which I won't go into the details of what that is, but it depolarizes and then there's this cascade effect where a whole bunch of neurochemicals get released throughout the brain, okay? Now, now the reason why they think nicotine is so addictive is because it's got all these rewarding um, qualities because it increases dopamine. That's one of the main mechanisms of action with nicotine. It increases dopamine throughout the brain and throughout the reward pathways. And dopamine, I've explained this before, dopamine is useful for obviously a shit ton of things, not just feeling good, not just feeling rewards. It's it's useful for motor and everything like that. But in this particular scenario, dopamine, as I've explained before, is heavily linked to addiction as it's essential in the formation of the rewards pathways. And rewards pathways are there for a survival mechanism. Mechanism. It's going to make us feel this this feeling of reward in our brain makes us feel like that was good. Let's do it again. So that you know that's eating, drinking water, sleeping, sex, um, any anything that that you know. So then of course drugs kind of hijack that same pathway where we feel good and then we get that release of like a reward of like that felt good. Do it again and then you're going to get that reward or or the the um, anticipation of a reward is when dopamine gets released. Okay, so. We know that that's happening. Then it also re- releases acetylcholine because, of course, it's working on the acetylcholine receptors, which is another neurochemical. Um, and that increases attention and cognitive abilities. So that's why if you are a smoker or if you ever have smoked or had a vape, whatever, you might find that your mind might be a little bit sharper soon after you've had you know, a, a drag of a cigarette or a vape. Um, so because nicotine acts on receptors within the central nervous system. So central nervous system is brain and spinal cord. It, it also acts on peripheral nervous system. So that's the nervous system outside the brain and the spinal cord. And um, that means that it's going to increase sympathetic nervous system activity. So that's why you're going to have heightened blood pressure, heightened heart rate when you take something like nicotine in particular. Okay. Now, this is where it starts to get interesting because this is kind of where it this doesn't just happen with nicotine. It happens with a whole lot of other chemicals and addictive um, chemicals that we might take. But the brain starts to become desensitized. And because it starts becoming desensitized to nicotine in particular in this scenario, the brain starts to create and pop up all these new receptors for nicotine or for whatever drug you're talking about, for any addictive component. If it gets desensitized, desensitized it's going to pop up with new receptors for it so then when you try and get off that drug 
you're going to have these crazy withdrawal symptoms. Because if you've got someone that's smoking on occasion, let's say you're a casual smoker or a casual vapor and you have one cigarette there, one vape there, you're not really going to have these crazy withdrawals because you haven't conditioned your brain to be so used to it to start to get desensitized to then start creating all these new receptors for that chemical, okay? So if you're somebody that does it all the time and then you try and get off it, your brain's already molded itself differently to behave in a way that's going to um, interact better with the nicotine that you're giving it basically. So it's going to say, oh, you're giving me this component. I must need it. Okay, so I'm going to start creating more and more receptors. I'm going to start relying on this. So if you're doing that and then you stop all of a sudden, your brain's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've just gone through this whole neuroplastic change for you and now you've removed it. So I'm going to make it almost impossible for you to not have nicotine because now I need it. You've told me that I need it. You've you've made me think that I need it because I've now changed to be this way. And so I'm going to make your life a misery until you give it to me, okay? So that's basically what's happening. It's all about conditioning. And I talk about conditioning all the time. Like you you basically, whether you mean to or not, you set it up that way. You've conditioned your brain to need something, to expect something, to want something or to hate something, okay? So it's all about changing it back. And of course, with the whole idea of you, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you stay off it for long enough, then those receptors are going to start to disappear. Your brain's like, well, I'm not using you. So I'll just shut you off and break you down. So it's pretty amazing how like plastic the brain is and what it can do. Interesting though. So that's that, that's the whole nicotine thing done. I thought I'd just give a bit of a chat about that. But what I find really interesting is that there's a lot of chemicals that the brain does that with. And one of the chemicals that it does this with a lot is um, a stress chemical called cortisol. So the more likely you are to stress about something or to perceive a neutral um, stimulus as a threat, the more your brain becomes desensitized to cortisol and it starts creating all these receptors for cortisol. So then you're going to start to take in more amounts of cortisol more and more and more because you've conditioned your brain to be so used to these heightened levels of stress all the time. So that then has obviously a lot of negative repercussions and then it's harder to change that stress mindset because you're so used to all these levels of cortisol being present and being absorbed through these um, receptors. Um, But like I said, again, it can be changed, but um, I'm going to actually be doing a podcast on addictions and I've got this little note here being like, talk about podcasts on addictions. So I'm going to be doing that. And basically what I want to talk about is the difference between chemical addiction versus behavioral addiction and how they're different, why they're different, why there's different mechanisms of action going on there. It's it's really, really interesting. So that's definitely on my list of podcasts to do coming up. Also, I was going to do a podcast on sleep and the importance of sleep. So that will be coming up soon. There's just a whole bunch coming up. So I'm very excited about all the podcasts on the horizon. But today we are talking about confirmation bias. So firstly, before we get into it, what is confirmation bias? What is the definition of confirmation bias? So I kind of thought I'd, I'd Google it, right, to see what comes up. And the one that I found the most, you know, common one and the one that I think summed it up the best was the tendency to search for, interpret, favor and recall information that supports one's prior beliefs or values, okay? So... Another thing that we need to realize is that most of the time, if not always, confirmation bias is someone's automatic 
it's an automatic, unintentional strategy. So it's not deliberate action most of the time. You can make it a deliberate action, but a lot of the time when there is confirmation bias, it's just kind of instinctively how you respond to something, how you react or how you interpret something, okay? So it, it it's not deliberate action, but that doesn't mean that it's not damaging just because it's not deliberate. You can still be extremely damaging to your relationships, to yourself, to what you, you know, to... to a lot of areas in your life, okay? So confirmation bias actually occurs in pretty much every area of your life. It has the ability to stop you from arguing properly. It doesn't let you debate issues properly and maturely. So that confirmation bias, when someone has it versus someone who doesn't, it's kind of the difference between someone who cannot debate, someone who's just arguing and arguing and just saying the same shit again and again and not listening to the other person's point. So someone with strong confirmation bias is a horrendous debater. They can, they don't have the ability to debate. So that's a good test. If you're having a conversation with someone, you don't have to agree on something. But if you, because debating is not agreeing, but debating is being able to have a civil conversation where you're arguing both sides of a topic, okay? That's someone who's really good at not letting confirmation bias take over. So, um, but then, yeah, it also hurts your peace of mind because if you have confirmation bias, you'll notice that because you're not challenging these points of views and you're strengthening them around you all the time by only seeking out the information that's going to strengthen you. Then when something does come in to, you know, challenge that, you're going to feel so threatened and that's when people get really defensive and aggressive, okay? It's okay to have an idea and to stand by it, but it's really nice to not get emotionally attached and think that your identity is formed by that belief. You can agree with something, you can believe or back something without having your identity attached to it. Because if you can do that, then when someone challenges it, A, you're able to be calm about it and then, you know, argue your point or B, even better, if it serves you, you're able to see the other side and see what they might be talking about, even if you don't agree. Or see, you might even change your mind and agree and it might serve your life a lot better. So there's a whole bunch of you know positive things that come from it. And it's not saying don't have a strong belief, don't have a strong idea, not at all. Um, this has just got to do with you having um, a set of beliefs and only seeking the things that are going to confirm or strengthen those beliefs. And when something appears that doesn't confirm your belief, you ignore it or you kind of, you know, you brush it under the rug or you turn a blind eye to it. That's what people do and a lot of the time they do it subconsciously. They don't do this on purpose. Now, here's a perfect example because this actually has happened a couple of times for me and I find it very, it's, it's like almost like a case study for myself. It's a very interesting case study. But basically, I obviously, given that I myself am a female and, you know, whatever my journey, I, I attract a lot of female listeners. Most of my listeners, I'd say around 85% to 90 are female. Um, and so, because a lot of the times I talk about situations that either have happened to listeners or have happened to myself personally, a lot of the time I'm talking about situations that have occurred to women, okay? And I never, ever, ever, ever have advertised or labeled my podcast as a female empowerment podcast. It's not. It is a human empowerment podcast. Anybody of any gender, I hope, would feel empowered by listening to this. I'm not trying to pigeonhole and whatever. I'm all for empowering females. But if I can empower everyone else other than a female, I'll be even happier. Okay? So, this is for everybody. However, I find in my DMs 
and in my Facebook group that some people get a little bit attacking and I wouldn't almost like don't want to say the word man hater but people get a bit like bit aggressive and a bit intense towards men and it's a little bit like whoa 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 this this Yes, there are a lot of females here. Yes, a lot of men have caused a lot of pain for females. That's all facts. That's all, you know, the truth. And I'm not denying any of that because I myself have experienced a lot of pain that's been, you know, from I've been on the receiving end of men being whatever, toxic or whatever to me. But what people need to understand is that females are also very, very, very capable of being toxic, being narcissistic, being abusive emotionally because women might not be as physically abusive, obviously, um, and might not be as emotionally abusive as in manipulative. Um, And you see that in relationships, it's very often the women, women are on the receiving end of that. However, that doesn't take away from the fact that men also are on the receiving end of a lot of abusive relationships and a lot of toxic relationships. That doesn't take away from it. And there have been times where male listeners will go on and say something on the Facebook page and they will be kind of questioned or attacked in a way that I look at very similar comments being said by females on my Facebook page and they'll be fully supported like, girl, I'm sorry you had to go through some sort like all the support. But then when a man does it, they'll be questioned. And I don't like that. And I'm here to say that you guys need to really listen. The people that are going to go and attack a man purely because he's a man going through something and then people saying, well, I question it because this, I question it because that. But they wouldn't question the female, okay? We've got to understand that this group here is a group for everybody, for every gender, okay? I want you to be somebody, if you're going to be an active member of, well, ideally your life, but in a smaller scale, the Facebook group, I would like you to be able to look at every single person as an individual, not as a group. Try your very best not to pigeonhole someone because, and I've spoken about this in the past as well, I... And many people that I know, if you were to base how you're going to treat other people based on the knowledge that you have of how you have been treated or how your mates have been treated, that's how you get people that hate other groups of people, okay? So, or man-haters in that regard. Like I could easily turn around. For example, I used to be, I'm the prime example of someone with confirmation bias. I used to be like, relationships are fucked. Relationships are fucked. Why? Because all my relationships have been fucked. So, of course, my perception was like, they are fucked. And were there good relationships around me? Yes, obviously, there were many good relationships around me. However, there were also many fucked relationships around me. So, I'm like, See? Proof. Look at that couple. They're fucked. Look at that couple. Look what he did to her. Look what she did to him. Look how they treat each other. So here I am, confirmation bias, confirmation bias, finding all these things to prove my point that all relationships are fucked. Even though I had many prime examples of good relationships, I was turning a blind eye to it and I wasn't choosing to ignore it. I just wasn't paying attention to it. I just wasn't aware of it because I was so emotionally attached and my identity was attached to my pain okay so just pay attention to when your identity is attached to your pain because that 
causes confirmation bias. That causes you to see the bad around you just because you've experienced bad. And that's just unfair to you. It doesn't take away from what happened to you, but it takes away from your future. Okay? So it's still okay to say, I've gone through this. I'm a victim of this. I have, I need healing and I need time. That's perfectly fine. It does not take away from that. But the problem is if you then say, I'm going to paint my future with the brush of my past, then you're going to continue to experience situations that reflect situations of your past, which is very, very sad and very unfair for yourself. So what I want to talk about is how uh, to change this and what to do about it. So I'm going to talk about what you can do about it. And I'm also going to talk about how you can use confirmation bias to work in your favor. So it actually can be used because the question that I started asking myself when I was writing this um, or planning the podcast, um, I always do like a whole like plot of it. I go for a run. I go for a walk. I stop. I take notes. Any ideas that pop in my head. And as I started kind of planning the concept of this podcast, I started thinking, can we as humans be totally unbiased? And I actually, this is like a more getting into philosophy. I don't think we can. I don't think we can be unbiased. It's almost, I would say it's almost impossible to be unbiased because you can't take away all your experiences in life and everything that you, that you know to be true. You know, there are certain things that we even if it's not emotional, see something as a fact and it might actually be debunked in 10 years' time. So I, do, I just genuinely don't think it's possible to be 100% unbiased in life, okay? We can't get rid of it. But what you can do is you can learn to ask better questions. You can learn to remove yourself from what you deem to be a fact, even if it's still a fact, and just be more calm about it. And you've got to look at yourself almost when it comes to all this information that's around you. You've got to look at yourself as a bit of an island. Like I'm here chilling while all this information is in front of me. And I'm going to take what serves me. And I'm just going to leave what doesn't. And still just allow it to be there. You can't be shutting out things that don't work for you and blocking this out. And only, you know, something that I found really interesting. And I was talking to my sister about it which you guys have all heard her on the podcast, she's a legend, but it's this idea, and this is again going into confirmation bias, where sometimes when we disagree with people, we try and just shut them out or not listen to them or not listen to anything that they have to say or block them off our Facebook or whatever. Fair enough if someone's toxic and aggressive, 100% cut them out of your life. I'm all for that, like fuck that energy, right? However, if there's someone that disagrees with you on a point, it's not the healthiest thing in the world for you to completely cut them out because then you have a really unrealistic ideation of what the world is. Imagine if the only people you ever hung out with were people that agreed with you. You then have no fucking idea what's going on in your city, in your country and in the world. Okay, so you have to keep your eyes open to be aware of contrasting opinions and not try and figure out what's right or what's wrong. Just be aware. It makes you more educated and ignorance is not fucking cute. Okay, learn to educate yourself as much as possible. It doesn't mean you have to agree. Educating yourself could be so simple as understanding that someone else has a different point of view. Even if you're like, I know for a fucking fact you're wrong. It's still educating yourself to be like interesting that that point of view exists because now I can do better as a human being if I know that there are people out there that think that way versus that way versus this way versus my way. Okay, that is what makes you a better person. That was what makes you a better friend, a better um, member of society, a better relative and a better parent if you choose to have a child. Okay, it's this idea of 
seeking to understand what is out there. There's a huge difference in understanding versus agreeing. And I think a lot of people get that mixed up because I, when I speak to people, especially now, if I notice, you know, when someone's talking to you and they start mentioning that they don't like something that you like or whatever, you feel this slight attack. You're like, (gasps) so then the moment I feel that attack, I instantly think, ask them about it. Ask them more about it. Because I think, wait a minute, I'm feeling attacks because I'm choosing to attach part of my identity to that when it's got nothing to do with my identity. So let's just take a breath and listen to what they have to say. To the extent that now, the, the, the faster you do it, the faster you start to think every time you feel a little bit attacked, that is your cue to ask a question. Not in an aggressive way, not in a sarcastic way. That's your cue to be like, pause, take a breath. Why am I feeling attacked? Because I'm obviously feeling way too attached to this concept that's external to me. Let's ask them a question and say, why? Oh, interesting. Why do you feel that way? Oh, where did that come from? Oh, so what do you actually think? Oh, really? Why is that? None of those questions demonstrate that you agree with that person, but it demonstrates that you're interested to see the other side. And the beauty of seeing the other side is that you start to get a more educated view of what reality is. So you go from being delusional to educated and it It's just by asking questions, okay? So the more you ask questions about other points of view, the more connected and the more educated you're going to be. And you're going to meet some incredible people that you disagree with, that you get along with very well, okay? And, you know, for example, like I have friends of many different religions and we can even talk about it. We can discuss, I'm an atheist, as you guys probably know. I'm an atheist and I've got friends that are, you know, Christian, Jewish, Islamic, Buddhist. I've got, and we can even talk about it. That's the beauty of it. And I'm always seeking to understand. Do I agree with them? Obviously not. Otherwise I'd be that religion. I obviously don't fully agree, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that the respect is less or anything. We have a conversation and we are interested. So that is what I hope this podcast will inspire you to do. So the way I look at it is every time I feel this way, I kind of think like act like a scientist and a good scientist seeks the truth, okay? If you're not seeking the truth, it's not really pure science. You're always seeking the truth and a really good scientist is happy to be debunked because they're like, well, if you prove me wrong, you're just closer to the truth. You know, I obviously didn't quite get there last time but if you you know that's what a good scientist a good scientist does not mind being debunked their theories or their you know whatever so you see it a lot in science where it's not really science that say someone has a product and they want to prove that the product works so they'll fund a study themselves and if you look at the way the study has been created it's only testing one side of something it doesn't test the other side so you're only testing one half of the possibilities that this product could do you're not looking at anything else that again is confirmation bias i'm looking at does this product cause this in these people does it cause a positive effect yep great awesome But you're not looking at, wait a minute, what if I did it on this population of people? Or what if I did it here? Or what if I do it three times a week instead of three times a day? Am I going to see the same result? Or is it just like a short-term thing that's not long-term? Like you can can skew a study so, so, so heavily to make a non-event look like a huge event, okay? And that's what people do in reality, okay? So always try and be a good scientist. Like, (laughs) honestly, sometimes I get people saying to me, oh, so you're a science person, you're a science person, right, right. And I'm like, as opposed to what? 
punt. Like science is a search for the truth. It's nothing else. It's nothing else. It's not some weird cult that says one thing and that's it. Science is just a search for the truth. So true science is a search for the truth and nothing else. Okay, so number one, what are the steps that you can do? Take out a pen and paper. What are the first steps you can do? And also the beauty about this, mind you, is that if you have a partner that you just so bad at arguing because you can't see each other's point of view, I can guarantee you start to implement this, okay? Start to bring this into how you argue, how do you have a discussion with your partner. And after you do it for long enough, then you can say to them, look, I'm trying to understand you. Look how I listened to you. Look how I asked you questions about that, even though we didn't say eye to eye. Can you do the same for me? If you're sitting there arguing black and white and not listening to anything they have to say, why the fuck are they going to listen to what you have to say? Why do you expect them to seek to understand you if you're not seeking to understand them? So I challenge you, if you have a shitty argument structure with your partner, put this into play for a couple of months, okay? Every time you argue, seek to understand them. Not to agree, but to understand. And then they're going to be calmer. And hopefully, best case scenario, they'll absorb what you're doing and they'll do it back and then it'll be a really great dynamic and you have epic debates in your relationship. I love a good debate, okay? If they don't, then you can at least say, I've been doing this for you. Could you start doing it for me? Notice how I'm trying. Could you try back? And that's how you can inspire change in somebody else, okay? So number one, this is what you're going to do. You're going to learn how to kindly criticize the things you love without feeling like it's an attack on yourself, okay? That's how you start releasing a bit of this um, emotional attachment to things. It's like that's the difference between a critic and a diehard fan who just can't see the bad in something. It's like, I saw this really interesting – I think I've mentioned this on the podcast. I saw this really interesting TikTok where someone was like – she was obviously a Trump supporter and she was saying that where are the Biden fans because I see a lot of Trump fans but I don't see any Biden fans, okay? And then this other girl, like what do you call it, like stitched in or whatever, a response and she basically said, well, because Biden doesn't have many fans. He has people that vote him in because he's the best person to serve the country. And this is the problem. I think when a politician in particular has fans, that's a problem. Because if you love someone unconditionally, like a fan does, then you don't see when they've done something wrong. That's confirmation bias. You know, I'm not going to get into politics right now, but regardless of who we're talking about, whether it's Trump, whether it's, you know, ScoMo, it doesn't matter who we're talking about. If you just adore a politician black and white, then it means that you're probably going to vote them in regardless, instead of saying, listen, I voted you in because I think you're going to be good at this, but you shit at this, shit at this, shit at this, shit at this. So I'm just going to keep my eyes open and when the next election rolls around, if someone's doing something better than you, no matter how great I think you are, I'm going to vote in that other person. That is where you can use, you know, constructive criticism to kindly criticize the people that you love. So this is what I mean. You don't even have to do it to their face. I'm talking about politicians here. I'm talking about, you know, and ideally you do it to yourself as well. You can kindly criticize things about yourself that aren't really that great, that can be fixed. It doesn't mean that you don't love something or someone, but 
good criticism is a way to improve how you perceive somebody because you perceive them in a healthier way. This also happens when you put someone on a fucking pedestal. You only see the good. You don't see the bad. You dehumanize them. You turn them into some icon instead of just a human being. Okay. Learn to calmly and nicely criticize them, even if it's just in your head being like, that's not working. That could be done differently. Is that fair? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Number two, learn how to listen to the side you don't agree with. And like I said before, seek to understand, not agree, but understand, seek to understand. That should, you should wake up every morning saying, I'm going to seek to understand people better. Okay. Now this is something that I'm really, really passionate about because for me, it really annoys me when people say, you know, oh, if you strip people back, you'll notice that we all have like muscles and a skeleton and blood. See, we're actually all the same. We're all the same. We have this weird obsession as human beings to we, – we swing more to something just because we know more about it. When we know more about something, we feel more comfortable, so we're going to side with what we know more about. The problem is if we're not trying to learn more about the other side, we're blinded to only one side of the story, so we, we stick to that side. We feel more comfortable because they're, they're more similar to us because we know nothing about the other side. And so it's less of a mystery, right? So you seem to be more like me, so I'm going to choose your side over the side of that person that I know nothing about. Do you know what that's called? That's called racism. That's called being classist. It's called sexist, ageist, homophobic, all of the above. If you are sided with someone purely because you think they're a little bit more like you or you understand them more, without seeking to understand the other side, that makes you a bigot, okay? So you have to try and understand the other side before you make a judgment call. And if you don't, then you're being immature. You're being ridiculous and potentially all the other things that I just mentioned here, okay? So why do we have to be the same in order to respect each other? Why, am I, why do I have to realize that someone of a different race under their skin is the same as me? Oh, so, lol, sorry. Now that I know that you're the same as me, now I'll respect you. No, can't. I hate that so much. That boils my blood, okay? You don't have to be the same in order to respect someone. You don't have to know that you're the same underneath in order to respect someone you just need a fucking brain and you need to learn to ask questions in order to learn how to respect somebody okay it's that simple it's that fucking simple and this idea that you know racism would end if we all just realized that we were no it, sh it should be end regardless it's ridiculous we don't have to all be the same to respect each other okay Clearly, I'm passionate about that. Now, number three, learn to say, I may not be right, instead of going nuts trying to prove yourself on something that doesn't have a definite answer, okay? Often, if there's, if there's a gray area, and I actually enjoy doing this, if there's a gray area, even if in my mind I've had experiences that have kind of, to me at least, confirmed something or pro proven something, I realize that once we start discussing it, I'm like, I actually don't have any solid foundations to base my argument on because saying, oh, because I experienced it, that's not enough, right? You can say that, but it still doesn't make you right. So if I have now really enjoyed learning to say, you might be right about that because I don't know enough. The beauty of it is when someone's getting fired up 
like fucking fired up about something and you're just chilling and they're like but have you thought about this have you thought about that and they're expecting you to blow up they're expecting you to be like you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong that's when I if I genuinely don't know the answer like I love schooling someone don't get me wrong I love to school someone if I know the answer but if I don't know the answer I'm not going to rack my brain trying to think of something to say to shut them down I just say you know what I actually don't know I haven't done my research you might be right And then if they're like, well, I am right because of this and that, then you answer saying, yeah, you might be. (laughs) That's it. This is what I meant. You don't have to agree. So learn how to include that into vocabulary. That is the best way to simmer down an argument instantly. You're not saying you're right. You're saying you might be right, just like I might be right, okay? And then you you stop feeling so emotionally attached and your ego is not so attached to the outcome of that you know, you, you turn an argument into a debate. You, you simmer it down. It's a lot better. Um, and then learn to the, – the, now, number four, this is a really important one for everyone and this is how I'm now going to – from that I'm going to go into how you can use confirmation bias to serve you. Learn to pay attention to what it is that you are seeking, okay? If you are somebody that's always seeking an excuse for why something went wrong in your life – then you're not paying attention to what could be changed, okay? So let's say, for example, you're a sprinter and you do pretty well and you go to like pretty, you know, you train hard, you go to these races, but you never quite win. So learn to what, like learn to pay attention. What are you saying as the excuse of why you didn't win? Because if you can turn around and say, the better man won here today, she was a lot faster than me. Or if you can say, oh, I know that I should have improved my starts more, but I didn't. So that's something that could be worked on versus you saying, oh, I just get, I just get, you know, performance anxiety. And every time that, you know, the, the, the race comes, something bad always happens or I'm cursed. Something bad is always going to happen. Or, oh, every time I go to a race, my ankle seems to play up or this or that. If you're always trying to find what external force made you lose, then two things are going to happen. Then you're going to really pay attention to all these external forces in the future and You're not going to take proactive action to see if you can improve what you're doing, right? So let's now look at it from a a relationship point of view. Let's talk about friendships. If you're always feeling that you're on the back end of the friendship with everybody, then you're going to start thinking, oh, everyone around, do I have this big thing on my forehead that says, you know, I'm a doormat, walk all over me. Everyone always treats me like shit. Everyone this, everyone that. It's just me. I just seem to be a magnet to these people. I just say, so then what happens? You then, every time that happens to you, you say, see, it's something, it's, you know, people just treat me like shit. People this, I'm always in friendship groups that whatever. So then you start to confirm that every time there's some sort of, um, you know, conflict within the friendship group, you're going to be like, well, I'm always the one that's attacked. I'm always the fucking victim in this situation. I'm always the one that's being, you know, laughed at or bullied or whatever. And then the problem is if you are ever the cause of a conflict, because you're so used to saying, I'm always a victim, people always do this to me, people always do that, you're just not going to see it. And you're again going to think that the reason there's conflict is because people just like to attack you, okay? And you're going to then confirm it based on how people are behaving around you. And then the problem with that is, then you can't stop, pause and reflect and think, wait a minute, 
what can I be doing differently? Separate to my friends, what can I be doing differently? Can I start hanging out with different people? Can I start behaving differently around my friends? Can I start teaching people how to treat me? And there's a podcast on that that you can go back and listen to. Is there all these things that I can be doing instead of sitting here and being in these shitty relationships, whether it's friendship or relationship-wise, and it keeps happening again and again because that's what I believe my reality is. Another thing that confirmation bias is, and I've spoken about this in the attachment theory podcast, but I talk about the idea of um, um, an internal working model. And this happens when you're raised, you're as a baby, a toddler, whatever, the way you are raised initially in the first formative years of your life, it creates a belief system around what you expect from yourself and the world and how you're going to be treated and your abilities as well. So that kind of plays into this um, confirmation bias because if you have always been around situations where everything goes wrong for you and people are going to treat you like shit, instead of isolating it and not trying to get too attached to it, being like, wow, I was in a pretty fuck situation there. Now I'm out of it. Now I can pause and reflect back and be like, that can change, that can change, that can change. I've got the power to change at least five of those 10 things. Let's do that and see what happens. If you don't do that, you're then going to take that opinion, people treat me like shit, all right, take that and then you're going to the next stage of your life and you're, you're emitting this people are going to treat you like shit. That's where people are defensive for no reason. People get on the attack for no reason. You become really quite aggressive. You know those people that have a really aggressive personality. You're just trying to have a conversation and they've just got this ugly energy and you're like, whoa, that person probably has a confirmation bias of people are bad. People are going to treat me like shit. So I need to be on the defense from the beginning. So if you're sitting down with someone who's got this hectic, hectic energy, that person probably is thinking, I need to be on the defense because everyone's going to treat me like shit. So then what happens? You don't want to hang around that person. You're like, okay, bye. You leave. And then that person's like, see, everyone hates me. Everyone treats me like shit. But it's because they brought that fucked energy in the first place. And it's not And do you know what I mean? They're not even doing it on purpose. It doesn't make them a bad person. And often we do it or we see other people do it. But it's this idea that we are constantly seeking things that reaffirm our belief system, even if that belief system does not serve us. Like everyone hates me. People are always trying to attack me. Um, every partner I have is going to be abusive or toxic, you know, and then it starts to play out. And then when there's a good person in your life, a good person walks into your life, you probably don't even want to pay that much attention to it because it doesn't reinforce your belief system about the world and how people are going to treat you. That internal working model, you look at it, it's like, oh, but that, that, that's an outlier. That's a one-off. But in general, everyone's like, so you, again, you're switching your focus back to the negative. So, Now, how can you use confirmation bias to your advantage? Because now that we know that most of the time we're not even going to realize that we're using it, let's kind of try and steer it to, you know, put us at an advantage in our lives versus being on the back foot because it's been like cock blocking you from good relationships and good situations, okay? So what you want to do with confirmation bias in the good way is you want to start to flip it around. How can you start to seek the best in others and and seek feelings that you're going to feel that everything is there to serve you okay so for example i'll give i'll give i'll give just a really random example i created a mantra for myself and you guys already know it it's called i live for this feeling okay so i started saying i live for this feeling and i then started thinking okay i i noticed something in me that when i would go to a class and there would be a trainer that would train me this is a few years back if I didn't like exactly what was happening, if I was like burning out because my upper body is so much weaker than my lower body and I would just be dying and I couldn't get through the exercise, 
I would start in my head. I'd be like, why is this trainer making me do this? Why is this happening? This is fucking annoying. I'm never going to... And I'd be annoyed, right? And then I'd almost come up with an excuse of why I'm going to stop. Because I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. I'm now just... that's. I don't even need to try... And I was like, wait a minute. And then I'd go out. I'd walk out of the class being like, why was my attitude so shitty in there? Like, why was my self-talk so shitty? So then I started changing my attitude. And also, not only that, I would see it in clients in my class. When I used to teach, I would see clients, you know, fail out of an exercise and be like, oh, no, it's just that, like, my shoulder's fucked. And I'm like, really? Is your shoulder fucked? Well, I asked for injuries at the start of the class. Is it fucked? Oh, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's just whatever. And I'm like, well, if your shoulder was actually fucked, you would say, well, yes, I pulled it out of the socket the other day or I've had a fucking shoulder operate. Or what, you know what I mean? Like, you would explain it. You wouldn't be like, no, 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 no. Because here I am saying I can give you a different exercise. And like, no, it's fine. It's fine. So I'm like, so you don't have a fucked shoulder. You just are dropping out of the exercise and creating a reason for it instead of saying my strength isn't there yet now I know where my limitation is that's a much better attitude to have so now what I said to my clients why what I used to say is when I'd start a class I'd say you know from now on when you're about to crumble and fail don't like of course you can rest obviously if you're fatiguing out rest but what I would say to you is change the narrative in your head don't seek reasons all these other excuses why you failed laugh literally laugh when you're about to fail out of it I want you to actually fucking smile and laugh and say I've met my limitation for today now I know where that limit is now I know where I can push and where I can work on and what I can grow on okay so you change your relationship towards your limitations instead of being like I'm going to find every excuse as to why I failed you're going to be like that's my limit how can I push it next time and so I started saying to myself now because I started changing my narrative and when I'd be training I'd say to myself I live for this feeling I live for this feeling and when I'd be trembling trembling about to fall I'd be smiling being like oh my god you got me you fucking got me here's my limit today and then when I'd collapse I'd just be telling myself I fucking live for that feeling I live for reaching my limit finding the limit and then pushing it the next time, okay? So it's a much, much healthier attitude to have. It makes you feel a lot better about yourself, your abilities, and what you can do next time instead of thinking, oh, the only reason I failed is because the training was fucking shit. You know, like that's a terrible attitude to have because what does that make you do next time? You're not going to be like, okay, pay attention. What can I do better? What can I do differently? How can I be stronger? You're just going to be annoyed that you failed, okay? The same thing goes for career. The same thing goes for everything. You've got to try and seek out things that are going to confirm that everything's good. Like, I, for example, I wake up every day and I'm always saying, it's all happening. Everything's happening. It's all happening. So if you've got this belief that everything is happening around you, there's all this movement and you've just got to ride that wave, then you're going to be more open to situations, conversations, people, opportunities. It's just going to happen because it's the confirmation bias. You're going to seek things that confirm to you that everything truly is happening right now. Everything's moving quickly and things are flying and you just have to jump on that ride and ride it. If you're thinking nothing's fucking happening, it's all stagnant, I'm not going anywhere, then you're only going to seek out things that prove that. You're going to seek out and identify things that prove that nothing actually is happening and you're going fucking nowhere. So change your, you know, wake up in the morning and start to say, I live for this feeling. Every time I reach a limit or a challenge, I fucking live for that feeling. The, I, I say that to myself when I'm, in, <laughs> when I'm doing an essay and I'm about to blow up. I pause and I'm like, 
Alexis, you know you live for this feeling. You fucking live for a challenge. And then I end up smiling and I'm like, all right, just drink a glass of water and get back to the essay. And my and I'm a lot lighter, a lot happier. Instead of being like, this is fucked, this is fucked, I can't do it, I've like reached a roadblock. That's then going to cause me to have a spiral meltdown and then not return to the essay until the next day. That is a waste of my time, okay? So it's all about what you're seeking and what you're telling yourself. So say, I live for this feeling when you reach a challenge or when you identify your limit. And that way you're able to say, what can I do better next time? And the other thing you're going to say, it's, it's all happening. Everything's happening for me. I just have to ride that wave. And you're going to start to realize how things start to change for you. They are going to start to change. And very, 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 very quickly because two things happen. You, out of your own confirmation bias, will start to seek the best in every situation, every person and where an opportunity is. Subconsciously, you'll start to do that. And two, even better People will see that in you. You know it yourself. Everyone is attracted to a good vibration person, a good energy person. You can, you yourself can tell. If you're having a conversation with someone and they're all negative and down and, sh- and defensive and brr, aggressive personality, do you? how fun are they to be with? Not fucking fun, right? So you're like, all right, bye, I'm off. Versus someone who's got this electric personality that's just, you know, like it's this contagious thing that every time you hang around them, you actually feel energized. You yourself know the difference. So if you were to start emitting that energy, what would you then bring into your life? What connections, what people, what would you start to seek out in others if you yourself started to behave in that sort of way? You would start to seek out similar behaviors, similar responses in other people, okay? So that is how you can use confirmation bias to better yourself. Still still my mantras, use them for yourself. I live for this feeling and everything that's happening, it's all happening. I say it all the time. It's all happening. It's all fucking happening. Everything's happening. You, it's amazing how such a basic sentence when said often enough it's like where it fucking actually is all happening. There's a fucking lot going on, all right? So that's what you want, like these new kind of, you know, sentences. You can call them mantras, call them whatever you want, but you say that to yourself and, and identify when it is you're going to say it. Because for me, when I reach my limit, that's when it's really good to say it. It's a circuit breaker for me. It snaps me out of this like negative spiral and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is normally what I can laugh at and be like, oh my God, love a challenge and this is fucking testing me. And then breathe through it and then start again okay so that's what you're going to do you're going to be able to approach challenges a lot better you're going to feel way less emotionally attached to the outcome you're just going to be like this calm island with everything kind of happening around you and then you can learn remember all those tips that I said learn to criticize even the things that you love in a nice way I'm not saying like tear it down I'm saying critique something you can point out the good and you can point out the limitations in something including your own beliefs including the things that you love the things that you stand by the things that you believe your politicians your religion it doesn't matter whatever it's always good to be able to critique things and that way when someone critiques or or you know says something that you would have in the past seen as an attack, you can now look at it as, that's your opinion, interesting, tell me more. That's not agreeing, that's just saying, tell me more. And the more you learn about how other people's other people think and how other people tick, you're going to be a better friend, you're going to be a better, you know, every, everything's going to be better. You can read people better. If you only surround yourself with people that think like you, you're going to be shit house at reading people if you seek to understand people with different opinions different beliefs different life experiences to you you're going to learn to read people like a book and that is a fucking skill to have in your life you'll get so far in life when you learn to understand and read people guys amazing thank you so much for that um i hope hopefully that was um useful to you and you can kind of implement this
this within your um, the way you have conversations and arguments with colleagues, friends, your partners, your family, everything like that. Um, as usual, keep sharing and um, rating and reviewing the podcast. I really appreciate you guys doing that for me all the time. It really, really helps me. I'm so excited. Also, yes, any Kiwis here, shout out to my New Zealand listeners. Um, please, yes, send me a DM or um, – uh, on the Facebook group and give me some recos for New Zealand because I'm so excited the countdown is on. And um, yeah, that is all. Guys, remember, be kind to your brains, be kind to yourself, don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.